The old saying goes, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Capcom learned this lesson the hard way today. Good morning, good Thursday morning to you. I'm Shane Satterfield from Sifted, and this is Good Morning Gaming for February 24th, 2022. The show is in our patrons' feeds bright and early, every weekday morning, and beginning next week, it will be published day and date for free on our YouTube channel. You can find our flagship show, Game Face, by searching your favorite podcast service. You'll find the podcast versions of the rest of our content in the same feed you found this. As it turns out, the much derided Street Fighter VI logo could be a modified stock image. A very similar version of the logo is being sold on Adobe Store for 80 bucks. And its creator, X Cooley, is offering to sell exclusive rights to the image to Capcom. Ars Technica's Arich Lawson first discovered the likeness. Looking at the two logos, they're almost a perfect match with just a number six added to the corner on the Street Fighter logo. I mean, it looks like Capcom is using the stock image logo to me. Now granted, there's nothing illegal about using a stock image, provided Capcom pay the appropriate fees for it. However, it's exceedingly embarrassing for a major video game publisher to have to use a stock image from an image service instead of having its own artist create a unique logo. Or perhaps one of Capcom's artists just cut corners and tried to skate by. Either way, it makes Capcom look like a Bush League operation. We'd be willing to forgive this if Capcom hadn't done something similar with the Wii version of Okami back in 2008 where it notoriously and inexplicably used art from IGN for the game's box art. It even included IGN's watermark. When things like this happen, they become a pattern. And what it tells me is that Capcom Corporate likely tells its employees to try and save money at every turn. Before we move on to the headlines from today, I need to correct something I said in a prior episode of GMG. I stated that the LEGO NES is a playable console. However, as it turns out, it is not. I had always just assumed that if it cost that much, it would include playable hardware. It should include playable hardware. Just shows you how much I know about LEGO and that I don't have kids. And now for a couple more stories from the top of your SIFs. BioWare announced today that Dragon Age 4 is only in the middle of production. It may have been motivated to share this after last week's report that it would launch in the next 18 months. Unfortunately, that does not appear to be the case. Executive producer Christian Daly just left the studio, which left Bioware boss Gary McKay to address both Dragon Age 4 and the next Mass Effect. In regards to Dragon Age 4, he said, Our blueprint was completed last year, so we're now focusing on building out our vision creating amazing environments, deep characters, blah, 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 blah. The blueprint for the game is well understood and the team is focused. Okay. BioWare and Mass Effect vet Mac Walters is Dragon Age's new production director after heading up the recently well-received Mass Effect Legendary Edition. So it looks like it's all hands on deck to finish the game, but it's still probably at least a couple years away. On Mass Effect 4, McKay said... The team, led by Mike Gamble, is made up of veteran developers as well as new, really talented people. They're all actively prototyping new ideas and experiences. 
AAA next-gen games take a long time to make, and we know our fans may want them sooner. But our number one priority needs to be quality, and that simply takes time to get it right. And I will say this, McKay is getting it right. (laughs) As I said in a prior episode of GMG, BioWare is teetering on the brink here of losing its fan base. So while it's disappointing that these games aren't going to be here for quite a while, and it looks like Mass Effect is just in the prototype stage, it's encouraging to hear that BioWare is going to make sure the games are good before releasing them. Now let's just hope that EA plays along. Today, Sony announced the PlayStation Plus free games for March 2022. It hasn't been great since the PS5 launched, and they kind of changed how many games they were giving out. Honestly, since they took the Vita stuff away, it's really gotten bad. But this month, not too shabby. You get Team Sonic Racing and Ark on PS4, and on the PS5, you get Ghost Runner. Both consoles get Ghost of Tsushima Legends as a bonus. Neurotomata is receiving an anime adaptation, but there is literally no other information about it other than it appears to be a series instead of a one-off film. It's being officially promoted by Square Enix thus far, but what took so long? Platinum's action RPG has been a prime candidate for anime since it was released back in 2017. Perhaps, though, this is the first signal of a successor being announced. Platinum doesn't have much on its plate after this year. Hmm... Recently, the NCAA allowed players to basically make money off their likenesses. And it's been a slow adoption. Most of the players have been getting sponsorships from like local car dealerships or local restaurant chains or local supermarkets, stuff like that. But that all changes with NBA 2K on Friday when Duke basketball star Paolo Banchero is added to the game as an amateur. Never before has a college player been added to a pro sports video game. Now, he is projected to be the number one pick, and he is really good. I don't watch a ton of uh, college basketball, unless my alma mater makes a tournament by some stroke of luck. But if you watch SportsCenter at all on ESPN, you know that this guy is really good. So I think he's a worthy guy to be the first. Tesla CEO Elon Musk wants his cars to be steam-powered. Well, meaning they could incorporate Valve's video game marketplace in the future. Single games are already playable in Tesla cars right now, but both Teslas and Steam run on Linux, and so they're a good match. It could even end up doing some cool stuff with Steam Deck. Currently, only the Model S has the capability, and it costs 130k. But maybe in the future it can make it to Tesla's cheaper models. Musk tweet reads... We're working through the general case of making Steam games work on a Tesla versus specific titles. Former is obviously where we should be long term. In related news, Valve also launched a Steam Deck Game Checker app today to let owners know which games are playable on its new handheld. Twitch streaming has finally returned to the Xbox dashboard after, I think, like a five-year absence. It seems insane that it took Xbox this long to get over its failed experiment with Mixer, and finally embrace the industry standard for game streaming. Better late than never. EA CEO Andrew Wilson announced to employees that the company has been limited by the FIFA license. He claims FIFA has prevented EA from expanding beyond traditional 11 vs 11 gameplay without much benefit. It sure sounds like he's greasing the wheels to end the exclusive partnership with FIFA. Pactor mentioned this. Just last month, Impactor factored that this might be coming. And as he said in the show, Take-Two will probably come calling with its recent push into sports gaming, or 
much, much less likely Konami. Okay, let's take a break, and when we come back, we'll tackle today's boss fight. Welcome to today's boss fight, where I tackle random topics that may, or may not, be related to video games. So Elden Ring's reviews were released today, and its aggregate score is currently sitting at a massive 9.7. So far, it's the highest reviewed video game since The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. It's been an interesting day on Twitter, to say the least, with the usual arguments about how from software makes this game exceedingly difficult, and whether its game should be more accessible, if only for disabled people who could never play them as is. But that discussion has been had many, many times. And what ended up bubbling up under the surface of these conversations is exactly who reviewed Elden Ring at all the major publications. After some internet sleuthing, it appears that almost all of them were written by editors who are known to be big fans of From Software's prior games. So the question I want to consider in today's boss fight is whether huge fans should be reviewing their favorite franchises. I've been a reviews editor for 16 years or so, and so I've had to make these kinds of decisions in the past, but these games are something different. It's a very specific case for a few reasons. First, because this series of games is so polarizing. Most players either seem to love them or hate them, but honestly, looking at the sales numbers, it's probably safe to say more players generally dislike them. And secondly, because it has a huge fan base, wouldn't you be doing a disservice to them if you had someone evaluate the series that isn't like them, like me? <laughs> I probably should not be reviewing Elden Ring for fans of From Software's games. I just shouldn't. Would they really take much away from my review? Not really. And lastly, with this game, editors only had five or six days to complete it before publishing the review. And as it turns out, most critics who reviewed the game today have not completed the game. And they are the quote-unquote experts. So imagine a noob trying to complete that assignment. There's a practical angle to it as well, and there's no way you're publishing the review on time unless an expert is playing it. In the past, when I led large editorial teams, I tried to stay away from giving Uber fans their favorite gaming franchises for review. You get to know your staff... And through conversations, you can kind of figure out what they're willing to forgive in their favorite franchises that they take other games to task for. And you can read their reviews, and you get a read on the guys who are working for you. So part of it is kind of feel and just knowing your staff well. But to me, it was always just a better idea to avoid any potential issues and just not give those games for review to people who really, really like the franchise. At the same time... I would never assign a review to someone who outwardly hates a franchise either. It was always a balancing act for me. But in the case of From Software's games, it doesn't seem like there's much consideration in that way at all. It's always the same people evaluating its games, which is great for existing fans. But when a game has a 9.7 aggregate score, there are going to be a lot of curious players wondering if they'll like it. And sadly, they don't have a lot of representation. Lots of those type of people on Twitter were searching for reviews from critics who were like them 
and weren't already dyed-in-the-wool from supporters. And honestly, they are almost impossible to find. And the game launches on Friday. You gotta figure, there aren't going to be a lot of resources for those types of players to figure out whether they should spend the money on Elden Ring or not. So while I don't think you should have super fans reviewing their favorite franchises, I do see how from software's games are a special case, and they don't come around all that often. It's hard to create blanket editorial policies that will affect every game forever over an anomaly that will appear once every four years. So for practicality's sake, it makes sense, but editorially, I don't believe this tactic serves the largest number of people particularly well. Thanks for listening to Good Morning Gaming. I appreciate every single one of you who listens to GMG. I'm Shane Satterfield, and you can do what the cool kids do. And follow me on Twitter at Dinfire. And while you're at it, follow Sifted at Sifted Games. If you like what we're doing, head to patreon.com sifted and drop us a pledge. We'll be back with another episode tomorrow. But until then, make sure you seize today, because there will never be another. <laughs>